Second Chronicles chapter 21, uh, if you would take your Bible and turn over there at this time. Thank you for the music today has been wonderful and I just appreciate it so much. It's been so good to be in the house of the Lord, to sing these songs as to, unto Him and I just appreciate those who do minister uh, in the area of mu- music and I appreciate it very, very much. It is a tremendous blessing. Uh, Second Chronicles chapter 21 and... Uh, Let's go ahead and stand together, if you're able to, physically, uh, for the reading of God's Word. I will say this, um, this has nothing to do with the message whatsoever, but I just want to say that uh, we had a great time at the uh, Gap Ministry uh, game night at our house. Uh, We learned a lot about each other that night, and uh, we had just a lot of fun and a lot of laughs. It was great. Um, I'm just wanting to kind of make sure that we're not on the same, we're not driving in the same city at the same time. That's all I just kind of want to make sure about. Um, so I'm just going to kind of hang here and wait for everybody to get home and then I'll, uh, I'll know it's safe to be on the road. But anyway, we talked about driving quite a bit. It was fun. All right. Second uh, Chronicles 21, uh, verse number one. Uh, we'll read the first three verses here of this chapter, but we'll be looking at all these verses as we go through the message tonight. Uh, now Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his stead. And he had brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah and Jehiel and Zechariah and Azariah and Michael and uh, Stephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. And their father gave them great gifts of silver and of gold and of precious things with fenced cities in Judah. But the kingdom gave he to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. And let's pray one more time together tonight. Lord, thank you for the wonderful service it's been thus far. Thank you for uh, these who are here. And Lord, I pray that you would bless their effort for being here tonight. I pray, Lord, that this message, you would use it to encourage and strengthen them. Lord, I pray especially for the young people in our church that they would take heed to the message tonight and that, Lord, even parents would uh, learn lessons from this story, from this historical account, and, uh, Lord, that you might uh, use it to strengthen our church, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of the message tonight is The Downward Spiral. I'd just like to start by saying this, the Bible is true, and the Bible is the truth. Psalm 119, verse 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. John 17, 17, John, or Jesus prayed in uh, the upper room there, uh, His high priestly prayer in John 17, in verse 17, he said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So everything the Bible says is true. And one of the things I really appreciate about the Bible is that it tells the honest record of what actually happened. In other words, God doesn't withhold information that he deems necessary for us to know. He tells us of the good, the bad, and yes, even the ugly of how people lived. And he doesn't withhold information uh, that we need to know, even if it's unpleasant, even if it's uh, uncomfortable 
to read about. Now, before we get into the text here, I do want to give a bit of a background and set the stage for the message tonight. Many of us are familiar with uh, um, men like King Saul and King David and then King Solomon. These were the ones who reigned in Israel under what was known as the United Kingdom. Uh, King Saul was the first king, of course, and then David uh, was anointed to be king after Saul had disobeyed God's command. And then David's son Solomon took over after David passed away. Well, these men ruled in what was known as, as I mentioned, the United Kingdom. Now, after the reign of Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam took the throne, who, by the way, was of the tribe of Judah. And uh, the, line of, the line of Judah goes all the way to Christ. You can trace it all the way to Christ, because Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Well, after it became clear that Rehoboam would not listen to the counsel of the majority, ten of the twelve tribes revolted and started their own kingdom in the north, and they kept the name Israel. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin formed the southern kingdom called Judah, with Rehoboam being their first king. For those who've done much study in the kings of Israel and Judah, which is an interesting study to be sure, and we may do that here at Cornerstone someday, Uh, But you would know that all of the kings of the northern kingdom Israel, all of the kings of that northern kingdom were bad kings. They were evil kings. Every last one of them. They had 19 kings in their 209-year history before they were taken into captivity. And all 19 of those kings were bad. They did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, the kingdom of Judah had a mixed bag of kings. Some were good and some were not. They had 20 kings in their history before they were taken in to Babylon. But of those 20 kings that Judah had, nine were good kings. Nine walked in the ways of the Lord, and 11 did evil in the sight of the Lord. And tonight I want to turn the spotlight on a king in the history of Judah named Jehoram. Jehoram was the king and uh, here in Judah, and he was one of those 11 evil kings. And I want to kind of look at his life and look at his reign a little bit tonight. Here in his biography, found in 2 Chronicles chapter 21 and the parallel passage in 2 Kings chapter 8, we find a man who went into a downward spiral that ended with quite the crash and burn. And so let's go ahead and dive into... Uh, the man Jehoram. First of all, I want us to notice tonight his dad. His dad. Uh, And really, before we get into his dad, I want to jump a little further in the past and look at his grandpa. So you're in chapter 21, if you just flip back to chapter 14, and we'll find who Jehoram's grandpa was. What kind of Heritage did Jehoram have? Uh, chapter 14 and verse number 1 says, So Abijah, um, Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. 
In his days, the land was quiet ten years, and Esau did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places, and break down the images, and cut down the groves, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers, and to do the law and the commandment. And also he took away uh, out of all the cities of Judah, the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. So that was his grandpa. And now let's fast forward a little bit to Jehoram's dad in chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse number 1, Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam, but sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor in abundance. In verse number 6, at first glance you're thinking, oh, no, this is a problem. Therefore, I'm sorry, verse 6 says, his heart was lifted up, and that at first glance sounds bad, but, but let's keep reading. His heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. Uh, let's look in uh, verse number 9 here of, of, uh, of this same chapter. Here again is, is Jehoshaphat, Jehoram's dad. Here's some of the actions that he's taking while he's the king. Verse number 9, they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them and went about throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. So Jehoram, or Jehoshaphat, Jehoram's dad, um, had a copy of the Word of God and wanted to make sure that everybody in Judah knew what the Word of God said. And so the Bible was, the Word of God was emphasized, the Word of God was a big priority. Uh, let's look in verse number 12. Again, Jehoshaphat, uh, talking about him here, he waxed great exceedingly. He built in Judah castles and city, cities of store. Um, this God really blessed his reign. And this was the uh, this is who Jehoram grew up under. Uh, he wasn't perfect at all by any stretch of the imagination. If we uh, kind of flip back over to chapter 20 and uh, look here in verse verses uh, 31 here, here's what it says about Jehoshaphat, not a perfect individual. But by the way, for those of us who are dads, I don't think any one of us can look in the, the mirror and say, I'm perfect. Okay, There's not one that can say that. We all have faults. We all make errors. But there was an overall desire to honor the Lord in the life of Jehoshaphat. But let's look how his... Uh, let's look at some of the uh, mistakes here. Verse number 31, Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 30 and 5 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 20 and 5 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was uh, Azuba, the daughter of uh, Shiley. Yeah. And uh, verse 32, he walked in the ways of Esau, his father, departed not from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. 
But here's an error here, verse 33. Howbeit the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not prepared their hearts unto the gods, the God of their fathers. And then let's look here in verse 35. After this did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who did very wickedly. So here Jehoshaphat had an alliance with Ahaziah. Verse 36, he joined himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. They made sh- the ships in uh, that place there. Uh, Eliezer, the, okay, and then uh, the end of that verse, verse 37, for sake of time, I'm going to skip saying all of these names. Uh, the ships were broken, um, or the Lord had broken thy works. The ships were broken that they were not able to go to Tarshish. So s- there were some mental errors, uh, some some things that... Uh, Jehoshaphat messed up in, but overall he was a great king and he had a good reign. And this was the type of heritage that Jehoram had. When Jehoram was born, his grandpa was the king, Asa, and and he was the king for the first seven years of Jehoram's life. And as best I can tell, Jehoram was seven years old when his dad, Jehoshaphat, became king. And so for the next 25 years, Jehoram grew up in Jehoshaphat's home. And again, Jehoshaphat, not a perfect guy, but uh, did what was right in the sight of the Lord, really tried to walk in the ways of the Lord, and, and, uh, and this is the type of home life that Jehoram had. Wasn't perfect, errors made, yes, but he had a good heritage. He had a godly grandpa and a godly dad as he grew up. Now, with that in mind, let's move on to number two here, his departure. Jehoram's departure. Now, go back to t- chapter 21 here. In verse number, uh, verse number four, we kind of be- begin to see the direction that Jehoram was, was headed. Now, when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword and diverse also of the princes of Israel. So right from the get-go, we see his departure, first of all, in the brothers that he murdered. The brothers that he murdered. He had six brothers here in, uh, in chapter two, or verse two. It, it names all of his brothers. And he took all six of them and killed them as soon as he, uh, took over the throne. He was afraid that they were gonna maybe uh, take his life out so that they could be on the throne. But he decided that, you know what, he was going to take matters into his own hand and kill his brothers. And that wasn't all, though. The Bible also says in verse number four, and diverse also of the princes of Israel. We don't know exactly how many people Jehoram killed because of his insecurities. So we see his departure in the brothers that he murdered. We also see his departure in the bride that he married. Let's keep reading here in verse number 5. Jehoram was 30 and 2 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 8 years in Jerusalem. So he had what was the equivalent of two terms as the President of the United States. He was 32 years old, and and, uh, he reigned until he was 40. Well, verse number 6 here, he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, that's not a compliment. <laughs> the kings of Israel, out of, again, all those that they had, all of them, 100% of them, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so, 
Jehoram, though, he chose to walk in the way of those kings. But let's keep reading here. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab. How many know Ahab was not a good king, right? He was, he was bad news because his wife was bad news. <laughs> but listen, look at this. For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the bride that he married was Ahab's daughter. Ahab was his father-in-law. And even worse, Jezebel was his mother-in-law. You think your mother-in-law situation is tough. Try having Jezebel as your mother-in-law. But now here's what God had to say about this infamous couple, Ahab and Jezebel. 1 Kings 21, it says, But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Now, not exactly the family you would want to marry into, but that's exactly what Jehoram did. He married into the family of King Ahab and Jezebel. Bonehead move, Jehoram. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about another man in the Old Testament who made a a bonehead move in uh, getting attached to the wrong person, and that was Samson. Uh, Samson uh, liked this girl from the Philistines, and and, uh, he said to his parents, I really want her. She's the one for me. And mom and dad said, Samson, she's from the Philistines. You don't need to be going after her. And he said, I don't care what you say. I know better. And he went after her. And it was a big, big mistake. You see, Jehoram and Samson both failed to follow the principles found in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, where the Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? Can I just make this very clear to all the young people in here tonight? The reason I'm doing this is because I've tried to make this clear throughout my entire ministry, that it, if you are a believer, God does not want you to marry an unbeliever. Can we get a couple more amens on that? Let me say that again. If you are a believer, God does not want you to marry an unbeliever. And yet I've seen it happen too many times. Who they think, well, I'm doing what they, they refer to as evangelism dating. <laughs> this, this individual, I mean, she's the one. Or he's just so whatever. I don't know what girls say. Not a girl. But, yeah, amen. Whatever, whatever girls say about guys, whatever she said about me one day, a long time ago. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just date them, and boy, I hope that they come to church and that they get saved, and, and maybe if I just spend some time getting to know them and then getting to know me, then they'll come to Christ. I understand the heart behind that, but friend, that's not the heartbeat of God. That goes against the intention that God has here in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14. Had Jehoram not gotten mixed up with Ahab's daughter, I wonder if his reign would have been a little bit different. You know, the most important decision that you will make outside of your salvation, young people, is the person you marry. Hands down. Oh, boy, there's the big ones, you know, what are you going to do with your career, you know, what are you going to, where are you going to live, you know, what color carpet are you going to have in your house, or big decisions, you know, coming up. But the biggest one is who you're going to marry. And if they're not saved, you shouldn't even go there. When I was a youth pastor, uh, as I was preaching and teaching on dating, my wife will remember this. I would uh, give the teenagers outlines of my lesson, like I'm doing tonight. And there was one uh, one point on my lesson that I had, and it had uh, probably 12 blanks with commas between the blanks. And I said, I want you to write down every word on the screen that you're going to see. I want you to write it down for yourself in the outline that's before you. I put on the screen, and I don't have it on the screen tonight, but I had on the screen something to the effect of never, 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 never even consider dating an unsafe person. I said, I want you, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of be quiet here and let you fill in all the nevers. Because I want it to stick into your mind to never even consider it. Because here's what happens. You know, a teenager gets old enough to get a job and they go start working at, you know, they, they get a big time job. They're working at Mickey D's, you know, the Golden Arches. And they're, you know, try, they're making money. And then all of a sudden there's a guy working at the grill, has her, has his eye on her. And, uh, and you know what? I have my eye on him too, you know, or, you know, uh, and, and so anyway, that this begins to develop and, and all of a sudden, somebody likes me. Somebody thinks I'm cute. Who cares whether they're a Christian? He likes me. And it feels good to have somebody like me. And so we drop all of this because somebody likes me. And we start getting more and more. And before we know it, it's a potential for going the wrong direction. So please, teenagers, can you please make a decision to never, 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 never even consider dating someone who's not saved? When my wife and I had our very first official talk, it was on October 25th, 1998. I'll never forget the night. It was when I asked her if she was going to have dinner after uh, dinner with the college after church. And she said, yes. And I said, great. Could we have dinner together? Because I want to go over some things. Not exactly the greatest pickup line in the history of pickup lines. 
But almost 20 years later, I would say it was pretty effective. Well, we got in there and we stood in line and got this college um, slop, I guess is a, is a kind way of saying what we had for dinner that night. It was this like leftover stew medley thing, and it was not good. But uh, we sat down and we, I prayed for the food, and I should have prayed a little longer for the food. <laughs> um, anyway, then we... Um, we began to try to eat, but then we really were there to talk. And I asked her, one of the first questions I asked her, I said, tell me about your salvation. Tell me about how you came to know the Lord. Now, she was in Bible, we were in Bible college, so I assumed she was saved. But I wanted to hear it and make sure. Because look, God doesn't want us to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It's not worth it. Don't think you're the exception. Don't think that 1 Peter chapter 3, when it talks to wives who are married to unsaved husbands and, uh, and gives them instruction, does, don't think that that's uh, an excuse and uh, an allowance for you to be different. No, this is for people who uh, got saved after they were married and, and she got saved and he didn't. And probably very similar to Timothy's mom and dad, where she was saved and he was not. That's the scenario. It's not, hey, I'm a Christian and it's okay now for me to date someone who's not a Christian. You say, can we move on with the message? Because you're really hammering this. Yes, I am. Because I care about you guys. And I want you guys to go the right direction. And many, many young people who fail to listen to this live to regret it. Now, there has been some some stories where God did save the, uh, the unsaved spouse. But don't expect that to always happen to you. So we see uh, Jehoram's departure in the bride that he married. He made a bonehead move. Now, uh, before we move on to the next thought here, go back to chapter 18. This is an interesting thing. How did Jehoram come in contact with Ahab and his, and his daughter? Like, how did this come about? Well, as I mentioned, Jehoshaphat, his dad, while he was great, there were some mental errors, and this was one of them in chapter 18, verse 1. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. I suppose in that family meeting there, as the families got together, Jehoram showed up, and I don't know exactly how old Jehoram was at the moment or at the time of this affinity here, but, but I suspect during that time is when he was exposed to her and they began their interest in one another. And he wasn't going to have what Jehoshaphat had to say. He was going to have this daughter. He was going to be with her. And then back in 21, chapter, or verse, verse number 6. Let me read this verse again. He walked in the ways of, kings, uh, of the kings of Israel, as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife. And right after it says who he married, it says he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
your spouse is going to make you or break you. Please marry right because you cannot undo that particular decision. Oh, I know people say you can in our you can't undo it. We see his departure in uh, the brothers he murdered and the bride that he married, and also we see his departure in the buildings that he made. Now look in verse number 11. Moreover, this is in chapter 21, Moreover, he, Jehoram, made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compelled Judah thereto. So he completely departed from who he should have been, how he was raised. And now he's making these buildings and these places where false worship can take place. But not only that, all kinds of sin and debauchery are going on. All kinds of wickedness are are happening. And, And it says in the last part of the verse that he compelled Judah there too. It was something that Judah, or I mean Jehoram was encouraging the people of Judah, hey, let's stop living in the boring days of Jehoshaphat. Let's live it up. Let's get exciting. Let, let, let's, let's enjoy life. Stop being so, so much of a fuddy-duddy. Those days are over, folks. Ah, there's a new sheriff in town, and we're going to have fun around here. That's what Jehoram's mentality was. So, hey, yeah, we're going to use the taxpayers' money and we're going to build these high places so that we can worship whoever you want to worship. It doesn't matter anymore. You're your own boss. You do what you want to do. And, and hey, if you want to have some real fun, let's build some new places where we can enjoy some fornication. This is Jehoram. What a departure from how he was raised. I mean, this man had a great godly heritage. He completely departed from it all. Look at what verse 10 at the end of verse 10 said. It just simply says, because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. He completely departed from the Lord, who he was raised to love, raised to know, raised to walk according to, but now he's doing his own thing. Reminds me of uh, Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 16. You don't have to turn over there, but it says this, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. Solomon in this passage in Proverbs is trying to encourage his son Rehoboam to stay away from the strange woman who was raised right But then when it became her decision to go the direction she wanted to go, she completely forsook the guide of her youth and forgot the covenant of her God. How many young people who grew up in the right homes, the right churches, with the right influences, and still chose to go the opposite direction? It's sad. It's very sad. Look, young people... You are not completely a product of your environment. Environment does matter, yes. But being raised right does not automatically mean you're going to turn out right. You must make your own decision which direction you're going to go. I know a lot of people who had a terrible home life growing up. 
and decided that they were going to break the cycle and go the right direction. Our very own Jed Wagner is a powerful illustration of this. Jed grew up in a very difficult home. But now, through the amazing grace and power of God, he is now saved. He is married to a wonderful lady and raising his son to honor God. And he, on top of that, is now teaching our children at Cornerstone Baptist Church on Sunday mornings to do the same. Environment isn't everything. It does matter, but it's not everything. But I also know many, unfortunately, who had a wonderful home life, did the right things, went to the right church, and had all the right influences, and yet still went the way of Jehoram. I think of Cain and Abel. Right, Same mom and dad, same home life. Two completely different paths, though, right? What about the prodigal son and his brother? Same dad, same home life, same farm that they lived on. Two different paths. Okay, so teenager, you're growing up in a Christian home and in a good church. Praise the Lord for it. But soon you will decide what path you are going to take. You're in many ways at a crossroads. Proverbs chapter 4. If we can just turn over there real quickly here. The next couple thoughts in the message are not as long, but I wanted to spend some time talking about this. Proverbs chapter 4. Look at verse number 14. And we'll read down through verse 19. And talking about the path in which we're going to take. Solomon's encouraging his young son here. Enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. Why? Because they sleep not. Except they have done mischief and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But as opposed to the path of the wicked here in verse number 18, the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. But then again, back to the way of the wicked here. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. You're going to have to make the choice which direction you're going to go. You can go in the way of the wicked. I'm telling you, it's not a, it's not a wonderful path. In fact, the Bible says the way of transgressors is hard. You say, well, I get to do what I want to do. I'm my own man. I am my own lady. I can do what I want to do. I can stay out all night. No one, no one cares. It's great. Is it though? The way of transgressors is hard. It's not an easy life, as Jehoram is about ready to find out. He gets to live it up right now in what we just talked about. He gets to marry who he wants to marry. He gets to build what he wants to build. He can take his brothers out. He can do what he wants to do. He's the king. But we're about to see some of the consequences of his choices. And teenagers, you're going to get to choose very soon which direction you're going to go? You can go into the path of the wicked. But I'm telling you, it says darkness. And you're going to stumble. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. 
And you're not going to be an exception. I promise you're not going to be an exception. For those who decide to go in the path of the just, boy, the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. That's the path I want to encourage all of you to take. So we see Jehoram's dad. We see his departure. And then thirdly here, let's look at his dominion. Back in chapter 21 of Second Chronicles, verse number 3 at the end of it, the kingdom gave he to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Verse number 5, Jehoram was 30 and 2 years when he began to reign, and he reigned 8 years in Jerusalem. This is his dominion. Verse number 8, what happened in his dominion? In his days, the Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. Then Jehoram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with him, and he rose up by night and smote the Edomites, which compassed him in, and the captains of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. So because of his departure, now we see some of the results of that. Oh, that wasn't all. Look and jump down to verse number 16. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians that were near the Ethiopians. They came up into Judah and break into it, carried away all the substance that was found in that king's house and his sons also and his wives so that there was never a son left him save Jehoaz, the son uh, or the youngest of his sons. So this invasion here that took place wasn't super wonderful, I'm sure. And notice in verse number 6, it says, The Lord stirred up against Jehoram. See, God was trying to get this young man's attention and saying, Hey, wake up, would you? You're going the wrong direction. And his dominion was literally characterized by chaos and conflict. And if you compare his dominion with the dominion of his dad in chapter 20 and verse 30, if you can look over there. We're doing a little bit of looking at the Bible tonight. I hope that's okay. Verse number 30 of chapter 20 says, So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. What a contrast. Jehoram, all these people revolting, this invasion that comes in into his own house and takes all that he has, and including his wife and all of his sons except for one. But his dad was like it was it was a yawn, it was yawn time when it when when the news came on. It was like, yeah, nothing to report today. <laughs> uh, kind of same old, same old here in Judah. Back to you in the studio. It was like no one wanted to watch the news because ain't nothing was happening. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, not so in Je Jehoram's reign. I mean, the news was on constantly and breaking news. We have an invasion in, in King's house. I mean, this is amazing. I heard they got everything. They got his, they got his wife and, and most of his sons. And oh, yeah, the, the, the Edomites, they're still revolting. Yep, that's still going on. Back to you in the studio. 
You see, his dominion was characterized by chaos and conflict. You ever wonder why some people are living lives that are just seem like they're always going through a time of turmoil? Could it be that the Lord is trying to get their attention? And the more conflict comes, unfortunately, the further they get from the Lord. And that was happening here in Jehoram's life. The more conflict came, the more he moved away from the Lord. One more reference in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, if you would turn back over there. This will be the last time we'll be in, in Proverbs here. Proverbs 1, verse 20. It says, Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse. In the openings of the gates, in the city she uttereth her word, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. This was basically Jehoram's upbringing in the last verses I just read. Wisdom was crying out. He had a tremendous uh, godly heritage. And yet, he refused to listen. Verse 24, Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded, but ye had said it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. Like, I don't want to live in the days of my fuddy-duddy dad. He was boring, rigid. I want to live it up. Yeah, I know what dad had to say, but I have refused that. And here wisdom is saying, because I've called and you refused, I've stretched out my hand, no man regarded. You have set at not all my counsel with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. But they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, you get to eat the fruit of your own way and be filled with your own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. That is exactly what was happening to Jehoram. All of his upbringing, all of his growing up years was wisdom calling out. And when it was time for him to make his decision, he refused that wisdom. He said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go my own way. Thank you very much. You know, that may be good for you, but it's a new generation. And I'm going to do what I want to do. No one's going no to tell me what to do. Absolutely not. Well, unfortunately, he didn't realize it, but desolation was going to come. Destruction was going to come. And that leads us to the forethought here, his disease. Disease was going to come. Turn back over to 2 Chronicles 21, and we're getting close to the end here. Thank you for paying attention and being here tonight. Look in verse number 12. There came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, Because thou hast walked in the ways, I'm sorry, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but hast walked in the ways of, king, of the kings of Israel and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring 
like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels. And get this, until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. Look, if the conflict and the chaos of his dominion weren't enough, God now sends a powerful message to Jehoram. And this disease, it was, to put it mildly, it was uncomfortable. Um, Many of us have problems with our digestion from time to time. But this was a very serious disease that affected the bowels, the digestive system. I did look it up, and there is a technical term for it. I don't have it written down. Um, probably what Jehoram had. You can do, don't look it up to right now, but you can look it up later tonight. Unpleasant for sure. I'll look in verse number 18. And after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with, get this, an incurable disease. So he had this disease, and I would imagine he's the king, right? I mean, he's got his own doctors, doesn't he? I would imagine he would call them over and say, Hey, doc, I need you to take a look at me. I, I, I have this something going on in my, my bowels. need you to kind of take a look at it and see what's going on and see if you can't fix it. Doc looks at him and says, uh, Your majesty, I, I don't think there's anything we can do. It's beyond what we've ever seen before, and we have no answers. There's no medicine. He says, well, isn't there some essential oil I can take for this? <laughs> no, there's not. It was incurable, because God made it incurable. This is how the Lord wanted it. This was Jehoram's opportunity to get right with God, if there ever was an opportunity. He could have just fallen to his face and said, Oh God, I have forsaken you and I apologize and I want to get right with you. But is that what happened? No, the Bible doesn't record anything that he did. In fact, the Bible just records silence. There's really nothing to say about how he responded to this. This was his opportunity to pull out of this downward spiral, but instead there is silence from Jehoram. Why would God smite Jehoram with such a disease? The answer is found in verse number 12. Because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah, because of the choices you've made, this is why I have allowed this in your life. You see, as Jesus said, for unto whom, unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. He was given a tremendous upbringing. I mean, most people would have like, given their right arm to be raised in a godly home like Jehoram was. But he took that great gift, threw it in his dad's face, threw it in his grandpa's face. If they could turn over in their grave, I'm sure they would have. 
Jehoram was given much. He was given a godly grandpa. He was given a godly dad. He was given a godly upbringing. And he decided to go the total opposite direction of how he was raised. He knew better. Young people, I hate to tell you this, but you guys are in the same boat that Jehoram was. You are given much. You're in a good church. You're in good homes. Are they? Are your homes perfect? No, Jehoram's wasn't either. But I can attest that your parents are trying to honor the Lord, trying to walk in the ways of God. And you've been given much. So much is going to be required of you. Don't walk away from what you've been given. Please. Other kings who were evil in the Bible didn't have some of this stuff happen to them. I think one of the reasons it happened to Jehoram because he was given so much in the way he was raised. Let's wrap it up here in number five, his death. I look at verse number 19. It came to pass in that in process of time, or it didn't happen immediately. He was given this, and I'm sure day one it was like, oh, yeah, like what disease? I don't even feel anything. Probably day 30 it was like, got to start feeling something here. But look in verse number 19. In process of time after the end of two years, two years he had to deal with this particular issue. But two, at the end of two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness. I'll let you kind of figure out what happened there. It was, it was yucky. Uh, what about his death? Well, I would say it was a, it was a sore death. Uh, look here in verse 19. So he died of sore diseases. This was a bad way to go, folks. You know, if there's ever a way to go, this was not the way you would want to go. The Lord chose for him to go this direction. It was also not only a sore death, it was a shameful death. Look in verse 19. He died of sore diseases, and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. It's like the equivalent of, you know, lowering the flag half-mast when a president dies. They didn't do anything like that for King Jehoram. He, it, was, it was very shameful. They didn't want to associate with him. They didn't want to like bring attention to him at all. Proverbs 3 and verse 35, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Boy, is there ever a good description of Jehoram, a fool. It was a sore death, it was a shameful death, and it was also a solo death. Verse 20, Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed, get this, without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchres of the kings. He departed without being desired. When he died, it wasn't like there were zero tears at his funeral. No one missed him. Friend, would people miss you if you were gone? It wasn't like, you know, he was in his like 
98 years old, and, and uh, you know, his family kind of forgot about him, and he was 40. And no one cared at all that he was gone. It was a solo death. Proverbs 10 and verse 7, the Bible says, The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Now, Ephesians 6 and verse number 1, how did, why did this happen to this man? So young, 40 years old, how tragic. Ephesians 6, 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first command with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Did Jehoram live long on the earth? No, he did not. Was it because he honored his parents? I would say yes. That's why. I would say that that's why his dishonoring of his parents is why the Lord took him out so soon. Proverbs 30 and verse number 17, The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the, young, or, the, ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. The eye that mocks at his father, this is the eye that, this is the teenager that rolls their eyes at their dad. Oh, you know, oh, dad. I can't even do it, really. I'm trying to do it. It's not working. I can do it when I don't really mean to try to do it. But the eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, when mom and dad are trying to get you to do right and you roll your eyes at them and you say, uh, you don't know what you're talking about, you don't know my life, you don't understand. Okay, you keep that attitude up. The ravens of the valley shall pick out your eyes. Young eagles shall eat it. Now, I don't know exactly how the Lord works that out in every person. And I'm not saying that God's going to do that, and, but I'm not saying that He won't. Look, does the Lord do this today? Does the Lord do what He did to Jehoram today? Well, I would say He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. He's the Lord and He changes not. Sometimes we may not recognize it as this, but I suspect He does. And look, when, when you and I are going through a, like a health issue, that's not to say, oh, God's going to kill me with a horrible, incurable disease. But it should help us to say, it's a healthy thing to say, Lord, are you trying to get my attention? Are you trying to maybe pinpoint some things in my life that I need to get right with you? That may not be the whole reason why God allows a health issue into somebody's life, but it could be part of it. It could be an opportunity to purge us and to turn us around spiritually. Um, all right, let me, uh, let me conclude this thing here. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now all these things in the Old Testament happened unto them for in samples. They are written for our admonition upon the whom the ends of the world are come. This isn't just a historical account of some king that lived almost 3,000 years ago, although it is. This is a true record of a man who started to go downhill and he spiraled out of control. There were others in the Bible who almost did the same thing. I think of David. 
He pulled out of his downward spiral. And I'm sure he's so thankful that he did. Peter, same thing, denied the Lord three times, went out and wept bitterly, but, but he pulled out of his downward spiral, and prevented a tremendous tragedy. These men were given a chance to repent, and they did. Maybe tonight you've started down the wrong direction. You're starting to gain speed as you go down this downward spiral. Maybe tonight this message is God giving you a chance to repent, to make things right, to prevent you from crashing and burning like Jehoram did. Maybe tonight this could be a preventative message for you to not even take that first step down the downward spiral. Whatever the case is, I hope that you'll make some decisions tonight regarding your own relationship with God and the direction you're going to take. And moms and dads, I think uh, some of the lessons that we learned from this, from this historical account, um, I think we would be wise to take heed to them. And let's go ahead and have a word of prayer at this time. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this uh, chapter of the Bible, which records a very gruesome disease that this man had. We see some of the reasoning why he had it. Lord, I think of our teenagers tonight and our young people. Lord, they're being raised in good homes, in a good church. Right influences for the most part. I'm sure not perfect. But Lord, they've been given much. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to make the right decision with all that they've been given. Help them to follow you and to walk in the ways of the Lord all the days of their life. 